Hello, and welcome to your new favorite bookish podcast, Fully Booked and Caffeinated. I'm Heather. And I'm Kelsey. And on today's episode, we're switching it up a little bit, and we're doing a nonfiction book. We are doing Mm. Cultish by Amanda Montel. So before we get into the book, we'll do our usual caffeinated spiel. So this morning, I went to Starbucks. I got myself a venti iced white chocolate mocha with oat milk, my go-to. It's delicious, and I love it so much. It just sounds so delicious. Yeah. You're wild at that venti, but... Yeah, but... I did less shots espresso again because okay. I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> so you're balancing it out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, as per usual, I had my Nespresso concoction. Today, just uh, another vanilla eclair Nespresso pod, which is just really delicious. That sounds like dessert and yeah, coffee. Yeah, it's really good. And then I had vanilla caramel coffee creamer with it. Oh. It was good. I was like, this is almost too much of a treat for the morning. I know. That's like a full-blown dessert coffee. Yeah. It was delightful. You know, usually I have my protein coffee, but today I was like, let's go Let's go normal. Let's go normal coffee. And also I didn't yeah. work out this morning, so. <laughs> we had more important things to do. You had to go look at puppies. Of course. Exactly. <laughs> puppies are priority. <laughs> Always. All right. So... Cheer! Yes, I'm already Cheers. forgetting what we do. Cheers! Happy podcasting. <laughs> I forget how this works, even though we've done this now like 10 times, but it's fine. <laughs> so Amanda Montel is a writer, linguist, and podcast host living in Los Angeles, California. She's the author of two critically acclaimed nonfiction books, Cultish, the one we're talking about today, and Word Slut, A Feminist Guide to Taking Back the English Language, which I also need to like read ASAP. Sounds amazing. Seriously. And she is also a creator and host of the hit podcast, Sounds Like a Cult. So we're going to take a break for a minute because I want to talk about this podcast. This is actually how I found out about this book. I stumbled upon this podcast. I think I saw an episode about the cult of Starbucks and I was like, oh, I need to listen (laughs) to this. (laughs) And and I also think someone had mentioned their podcast on, I had heard it on another podcast and I wanted to check it out. And I introduced you to it. I introduced my husband to it. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves it now. Oh, yeah. I'm obsessed with it. That's one of my favorites now. They do so many cool episodes. Like, for instance, the past month we had talked about on our bonus episode in February, they did the Cult of Child Stars. Mm-hmm. They did the Cult of Boy Scouts, which was great. <laughs> yeah. And at the time of this recording, they just did peloton and uh-huh. did you see the tiktok where the peloton yes. instructor was <laughs> yes. like i was waiting for them to do an episode about us <laughs> i know and it's funny because eventually we, we talk about fitness cults in this episode so yeah. I, I actually i noticed that when i was listening to the episode this week i'm like this is actually really great timing <laughs> yeah oh yeah definitely and it's so funny because she was like we're all live your life <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> which I, I agree with that but yeah they do yeah they do a thing at the end where it's is this like a live your life watch your, watch back, your back or get the fuck like, out get the fuck out <laughs> <laughs> so they do really cool episodes i know you you've listened to a good chunk you've listened to more than i have yeah and i know i know there's a bunch that you really liked yeah but they they're great so if you don't listen to them and you like the concept of this episode and learning about cults of different things because it's not just normal cults like i said they do they do all different kind of subjects yeah because they do a mix of everyday cults like peloton mm-hmm. 
Um, but they, they've also done Teal Swan and, you know, some of the darker cults too. So they, mm-hmm. they do a mix of both of them, which is really cool. Yeah. And the other girl that is on the, the podcast with her, uh, Issa Medina, she's a comedian. Mm-hmm. So they're just funny. Yeah. They're really funny. I like them a lot. Um, so Heather, what is the most triggering episode of Sounds Like a Cult for you? The most triggering episode? Yes obviously the cult of apple <laughs> personally attacked when i listened to that episode <laughs> of course and i told you i was like this is literally meant for me and then when i told my husband his immediate comment was no i listened to that and i was like this episode's about heather and yeah i was like yeah yeah i don't get all like the apple products i don't have like an ipad or anything but i have the watch that i'm obsessed with and i was phone i was legitimately upset when my husband switched to samsung because now our bubbles are green not blue <laughs> so yeah i i don't know how you guys made it through that i'm really proud of you i know and then i get into arguments i get into arguments with our friends because they have google phones so i'm like no you have to use my phone to take a picture yeah because yeah. <laughs> iphone pictures are the best <laughs> so oh yeah personally triggered by the cult of apple not gonna yeah lie. yeah mm-hmm. i was personally triggered by diet culture Oh, that was a really good episode. Though. Yeah, that was a rough one. I feel like I mm-hmm. am not a part of that cult anymore. I have grown. I mean, we but all you used we to. All yeah, a little bit. Everybody but, is. Yeah, but it was just so interesting, especially looking at it from like having worked so hard to remove myself from it. Mm-hmm. It was very, very fascinating. So that yeah. one was triggering for sure. I know because I remember when I first met you, you were super, super into keto. Yeah, yeah. LOL. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, and it's, but the, this is the thing about, to go on like a little spiel about diet culture, but it's so prevalent and people at some point in your life, you always get involved in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like even seeing it in the different generations, like my mom is so affected by it. My sister mm-hmm. is so affected by it. My aunt, like just seeing how much society and especially now social media and all this stuff just like affects literally reprograms our brains to be so obsessed is just well it's cultish but <laughs> i know that's the whole my, point. <laughs> my mom wasn't she wasn't crazy into diet culture i mean she was like in a slim fast and stuff when that was a thing mm-hmm. but i'll never forget my aunt at one point was like well if you lose weight i'll buy you new clothes Oh like my the incentive, if I lost weight over the summer, my incentive would be new clothes for school. And as a kid, you're like, oh, whatever. But as an adult, I'm thinking back and I'm like, that's so fucked up. So fucked up. Like, why? Because I am a plus size teenager. I should lose weight so I can so I can get new clothes. Yeah, like, what's like, the difference? Literally, here's your treat for doing what you're supposed what yeah. you're quote unquote yeah. supposed to do. Ooh, I, I can't I even. Like I can go on a whole spiel about diet culture because yeah. same thing, you know. For me, growing up being a larger girl, it's definitely affected me. And then for you, with doing doing the things that you've dealt with, it's just yeah, yeah. it affects everyone in different ways. Oh, definitely. Yeah, we could do an entire mm-hmm. podcast about diet culture. We, we could. Then, <laughs> then I would just be angry and yelling the whole time. So I know. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> listen to the podcast. Yeah, listen it's to very them and let us know your thoughts and let them yeah. know your thoughts too. <laughs> yes, I highly highly recommend it. So, Cultish was named a Best Book of 2021 by NPR. 
It was shortlisted for several prizes, including Goodreads Choice Awards and Get Abstract International Book Award. And it has been translated into seven different languages. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I don't know if you know this, but it's currently in development for television. What? Yeah. So it's currently in in development with Loveless Media and Topic Studios. So I don't know if they're going to do like a docu-series, if they're going to do something. I'm not sure what it's going to be, but it is in development for TV. Oh, that's really cool. I hope that they're the ones on. Well, I hope that obviously at least that Amanda Montel is on it, but it would be cool. Yeah, I'm sure she will. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm I know. I'm curious to see mm-hmm. the format that that will Me take. Me too. And because I talk about it, but Amanda breaks <laughs> down the book in parts. Mm-hmm. So my mm-hmm. assumption would be maybe each episode would be a different part or yeah. how they would do it. But yeah, so I thought that was cool. That is cool. And she's currently working on a third book. Okay. She's called it The Age of Magical Overthinking, Notes on Mar- on Modern Irrationality. <laughs> Wow, that sounds like it's going to be triggering too. Jesus. Personally attacked when I read that. I was like, oh, great. I'm going to need that one ASAP. I'm sure that won't trigger my anxiety at all. No, I'm definitely, as I'm sure most people are, the queen of overthinking. Yeah, so that's a rough one. Okay. Second guessing. And so that I think will be, I'm really actually really looking forward to that one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I didn't know she was working on a new book. That's really Me cool. Either. I know. I like went on her website to like look this stuff up and I found all this out. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. Yeah. It's also <laughs> cool if you listen to the podcast and then read this book that you kind of like read it in her voice, which I yes, like. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, I think re- I think listening to the podcast first and then discovering the book and then reading it, I def- totally read it mm-hmm. in her tone and everything. Yeah, which was good because it's kind of written in like a familiar familiar tone you know what i mean like the way she's Mm -hmm. written it it's not like a normal nonfiction book which is why we're covering it on this podcast exactly (laughs) (laughs) okay so the description of cultish on both amanda's website and goodreads was the same so i was able to use it because you know i like to check out my goodreads just to make sure of course but it was basically the same exact description so the description of the book is what makes cults so intriguing and frightening what makes them powerful? The reason why so many of us binge Manson documentaries by the dozen and fall down rabbit holes researching suburban moms gone QAnon is because we're looking for a satisfying explanation for what causes people to join and more, point- more importantly, stay in extreme groups. We secretly want to know, could it happen to me? Amanda Montel's argument is that on some level it already has. Our culture tends to provide pretty flimsy answers to questions of cult influence, mostly having to do with vague talk of brainwashing. Mm -hmm. But the true answer was nothing to do with freaky mind control wizardry or Kool-Aid. In Cultish, Montel argues that the key to manufacturing intense ideology, community, and us-slash-them attitudes all comes down to language. In both positive ways and shadowy ones, cultish language is something we hear and are influenced by every single day. Through juicy storytelling and cutting original research, Montel exposes the verbal elements that make a wide spectrum of communities cultish, revealing how they affect followers of groups as notorious as Heaven's Gate, but also how they pervade our modern startups, Peloton leaderboards, and Instagram (laughs) feeds. Incisive and darkly funny, this enrapturing take on the curious social science of power and belief will make you hear the fanatical language of cultish everywhere. That part is true. Mm-hmm. After reading this book, you notice it. 
Oh, yeah. Everywhere. Yeah, you do. (laughs) (laughs) You absolutely, absolutely do. Which is both a blessing and a curse, by the way. (laughs) I know. I know. Well, because you don't even, like, realize the different kinds of cults there could be. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things I liked about this book, was she really breaks it down into all the different kinds and you're like oh shit like no i am part of a cult or i was Mm -hmm. part of a cult Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and like she does that and explains how just because it is culty and just because it is does have that language doesn't mean that it's a dangerous cult doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that it's something you shouldn't be in and sometimes these cults are actually beneficial to us yeah agreed so she breaks down this book into six parts the first part is her giving kind of an educational background on what cults are, the different languages in cults. She does interviews with different scholars and former members of different Mm -hmm. cults. She also explains what a cult could be and the many experiences it could be applied to, like new religions, a startup, a makeup brand. She mentions how language is a leader's charisma and it's what empowers them to create a mini universe, a system of values and truths, and then compel their followers to heed its rules. There are certain cults that use foreign mantras or acronyms that play a small role in molding the experience. And I know that you had jotted down cult criteria if you want to talk about that. Yeah. So she lists the cult criteria for the most... I don't want to say successful cults, because that's not the right <laughs> word, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Okay, so charismatic leaders, mind-altering behaviors, sexual and financial exploitation, mm-hmm. an us-versus-them mentality toward non-members, and an ends-justified-means philosophy. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, that's definitely what the big ones have, especially the ones that that we'll get into that are, you know, what people think of when they hear the word cult, which are, yeah. you know, considered the dangerous cults, I would say. Mm-hmm. So she talks about how every cult is different. And then from there, she breaks it down into five different parts. So part two, and I love the titles that she has. For yeah, the yeah, parts. yeah. I wrote them all down because okay, <laughs> I love them. <laughs> so part two is congratulations. You have been chosen to join the next evolutionary level above human. <laughs> okay so (laughs) it's funny that you brought up the criteria because one of the key elements that she talks about is creating an us versus them dichotomy so Mm -hmm. leaders cannot gain or maintain power without using language to till a psychological schism between their followers and everyone else Mm -hmm. the goal is to make their followers feel like they have all the answers while the rest of the world is not just foolish but inferior yes yes which is true (laughs) yeah it creates that barrier between the group and everyone else and that's why they don't understand you because they're not enlightened or they don't know Mm -hmm. they don't believe or they're not putting enough into it etc etc yeah a quote that i had pulled was when you convince someone that they're above everyone else it helps you both distance them from outsiders and also abuse them because you can paint anything from physical assault to unpaid labor to ver- verbal attacks as special treatment reserved mm-hmm. only for them. Mm-hmm. Which is, it, it's so true because especially a lot of these cults, the more popular ones, you know, like Nexium or even the Manson family, and then the ones that she talks about in here, Jonestown, Heaven's Gate, they started out as something and then morphed into something completely different. Mm -hmm. So even if they started out positive and they started out helping people, once they had 
basically all those people like under their claw or however you want to say it, then everyone was already in so deep that they were able to change the message. And that's when it started getting dangerous. But people were already in too far in to get out. Yeah. And I feel and I talk about it eventually, too. But people, they want to feel like they belong to something. Mm -hmm. So a, a person will join a cult without really, I think, fully understanding what it is. And they just become so enraptured in the world and then they're okay with being, you know, verbally abused. Yeah. And and berated and told that they're less than by their so-called leaders. Mm-hmm. And it's just crazy. Yeah. It's the same as, as like a toxic relationship. Yeah. Like everything is all rainbows and butterflies at the beginning and then it just slowly gets worse and worse, but you keep clinging to the positives. So you keep clinging to, I found this sense of community and Mm -hmm. there are certain things that I feel like are better in my life. And so you just kind of, I guess, rationalize that the good outweighs the bad. Yeah. And then these cult leaders, like she says, they make these members feel like they're on a totally different spectrum than the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And that, their their words and their language is the right one mm-hmm. and what everyone else thinks is completely should be disregarded mm-hmm. and that we're all you know just people walking around not knowing what's really yeah, out there we're not enlightened enough yes but that's that's also where um amanda montel introduces the fact of that it's not just people being brainwashed like everyone wants to believe oh you'd only join a cult if you're weak and that was one of the main things that that I think she was trying to get at with this book is that, no, it's not just people who are susceptible. It's that these leaders are so charismatic and so persuasive and know mm-hmm. exactly what to say that, yeah, if you are looking for for some type of meaning or some type of community or you have even that small doubt in your mind, they completely feed off of it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you're a conspiracy theorist. Like, it's not yeah. its not just people who are, oh, my God, they're so stupid. How could they fall for that? It, it, there are very smart people who fall for this just as well. It's so, yeah, it's so much more than, than that. It's just these cult leaders are speaking a language that clearly enraptures members. Mm-hmm. And it whatever they're spieling is powerful enough that it's making them believe in it. Yeah, yeah. So if someone says something to you that you want to believe in and says it with such conviction, you're going to fall for it. Yeah. And if you you're see a whole community it. of people who are also yes. believing it, then you're mm-hmm. going to be like, oh, my gosh, it is right. Because I can't be the only one who's wrong. Like, you yeah. can't all be wrong type thing. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I totally get it, especially throughout the different times where these things happened, like, mm-hmm. you know, Manson family or Jonestown or whatever, like, and even now, which we'll get into when we talk about like more safe cults, that everyone is just looking for something. You're looking for validation. Yeah. And yeah. these, sometimes these cults give you that validation that you think you need, but you really don't. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're so lost that it gives you that yeah. feeling or looking to fill some void she talks about a couple people who she interviewed who had moved to la like trying to chase their dreams or whatever mm-hmm. which a lot of people do 
but then they just kind of felt lost because it wasn't working out the way that they thought it would and they had left their families behind and you know everything was just kind of not as they pictured it so they were looking for just looking for some comfort and that's how they fell into some of these very dangerous groups i know and so she begins it like you bring up she talked to all these people who were previously members of a cult such as jonestown or heaven's gate and she asked them you know what made them join a cult mm-hmm. and one of her quotes from the book she says i can think of so many motives explaining why someone might enter a community like the people's temple or heaven's gate maybe it's because life is hard and they want to make it better because someone promised they could help maybe they want their time on earth to feel more meaningful maybe they're sick of feeling so alone Maybe they want new friends or a new family or a change of scenery. Maybe someone they love is joining. Maybe everybody is joining. Maybe mm-hmm. it just seems like an adventure. The, so there's multiple reasons. They're all valid reasons. They're yeah. All such valid reasons. And even like, we'll probably get to it when we talk about the Scientology, but she didn't go too far into Nexium, but I was always fascinated by Nexium. I watched mm-hmm. like a bunch of documentaries about it because at first it was sold to people as like, self-help classes and like yeah classes that they could sign up to take that were gonna improve their lives and improve their outlooks and this is how they got all these famous not famous okay they're like b-list but whatever all these like actresses <laughs> and actors yeah. to join because they're like oh we have acting classes we're gonna improve your craft so that you can get more mm-hmm. jobs and blah 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 so it's like they zeroed in on what all of these people were feeling. Oh, you need self-help? Great, we have a class for you. Oh, you want your acting career to take off? Great, we got a class for you. So mm-hmm. it, it's all about personalizing it, making people feel special, and then you hook them in. Exactly. And obviously the 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 cults like Heaven's Gate and Jonestown were very deadly. The end results mm-hmm. were catastrophic. They were tragic. Mm-hmm. And... She brings up how a majority leave before things get deadly, but the reasons some don't also sound familiar. So mm-hmm. these are the reasons why, or reasons that are similar to why people might not leave a cult. So they're the same reasons you might put off unnecessary breakup, denial, listlessness, social stresses, fear they might seek revenge, lack of money, lack of outside support, doubt that you'll be able to find something better and the sheer hope that your current situation will improve if only you hold on a few more months, commit a fraction more. Oh. Yeah. And she says, you know, irrationally, we tend to stay in negative situations from crappy relationships Mm -hmm. to lousy investments to cults, telling ourselves that a win is just around the corner so we don't have to admit to ourselves that things just didn't work out and we should cut our losses. It's so true. And it's so applicable. Like, why do people gamble? Because yeah. they think that big win is right around the corner. It's coming. Why do people stay in shitty jobs? Because they think that promotion is right around the corner. Why do you mm-hmm. stay in toxic relationships? Because you think that things are going to get better because they used to be good. And mm-hmm. then she talks about, you know, like the money aspect. Some of these cults have taken all of your money. They've taken yeah. everything that you have. You've already alienated yourself from your family and your friends. Who, do, who can you, you're going to leave? Where are you going to go? You have no money. You have no one to go to. Exactly. The cult basically takes you and, like you said, sticks their claws in you. Mm -hmm. And it's impossible to get out. Some obviously are lucky enough and smart enough to get out. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the times when it comes to these deadly cults like Heaven's Gate and 
Oh my God. What was the one in Texas? I'm blanking. Pregnancy brain. Help me. It's just a great question. <laughs> oh my God. I remember God. his name, but. <laughs> I know. They had like the standoff with the FBI for like 21 days yeah. or whatever it was. Oh my God. And I, you're going to say the name of it. And I'm going to literally okay. scream. It's the Branch Davidians and they were at Waco. Waco. Waco, Texas. Yes. Thank you. Waco, Texas. You know, and what's crazy about Heaven's Gate and another another language thing that she had talked about in the book is that, you know, they came up with nobody's name was their real name in the cult. Once yeah. you joined, you got a new name and they believed in a higher power, a different life. And I remember when we were at, we had it, we did our book club on this book and you had brought up you know the little money in their pockets the toll money okay yeah heaven's gate i know that it's horrible and they all committed yeah mass suicide but the fact that they put toll money in their pockets i thought that that was very nice that they I weren't know. just gonna blow through that toll booth they were like we're gonna pay our toll to get uh-huh to the alien realm i don't know heaven's gate is the one i can't really see how but that's people the thing. are in but that's that that's how strong language can change your yeah. whole your whole outlook on life right that marshall applewhite was able to convince these people that there was an, another world and that they were all good enough to travel mm-hmm. to to get there and that in order to get there they had to do x y and z and Bruh. these people believed it they bought alien abduction insurance like they literally believed it so yeah. the it's point also is... a sign of the times too because yes. this was you know years ago when i feel like aliens were more prevalent like i feel like more people were more curious about aliens and that type of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So mm. it's just it just goes to show that while people might seem how for us hearing about this, we can't believe that someone would believe in it. Right. But when you think about what those people must have been going through in their own lives to stumble across this cult and then this cult was the answer that they thought they were looking for. Yeah. Yeah. And so they looked it's, around and saw it. All these other people just like them, believing the same things as them, willing to go to the same lengths as them. Mm-hmm. I I get it. I mean, it's it's also the whole like sheep mentality, which sounds so negative, but it, it is. Or mob mentality mm-hmm. where, you know, all the people around you are doing the same thing. Of course, you're going to your mind is going to rationalize that it's the right thing or that it's OK or mm-hmm. whatever, you know? Yeah. So part three is probably the one that I have the most information on because there was a lot. And I know that part three was your favorite. (laughs) (laughs) So part three is called... Favorite? You know what I mean. (laughs) So part three, her title for this was Even You Can Learn to Speak in Tongues. So she starts off part three about her experience with Scientology. Mm-hmm. So basically, her and a friend were on the just on the streets in I guess L.A. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah LA. L.A. And random people just came up to them and was like, "Do you want to take this personality test?" <laughs> and they're like, "Sure." And so they actually made them go to the Scientology headquarters, mm-hmm. and which is wild. Once, you could just walk right in yeah, there. Uh huh. And then once they got there. They were immediately separated. Mm-hmm. So one mentor took her friend, one took Amanda, 
and then they made them like sit through this movie <laughs> about Scientology mm-hmm. and then ask them all these questions afterward and luckily they didn't fall for it but again you can hear how persuasive they were trying to be like oh we can help you change your life mm-hmm. with this low fee of whatever it is you know we'll give you the courses to help you become your best version of yourself and it's just crazy yeah that yeah, there's that people out there started as a self-help thing too yeah but that's that's what we were saying earlier like the people who are susceptible to that who may move to la and feel lost or even who might be like oh my favorite celebrity is into mm-hmm. scientology why shouldn't i be maybe i can be successful like them if i'm mm-hmm. into scientology that's a big deal because there are some very outspoken celebrities who are scientologists tom cruise <laughs> to name one yeah john travolta (laughs) is it beyonce a scientologist yeah that's news to me if she is i'm sorry allegedly i thought she was just allegedly isn't she i thought she was part of the illuminati oh (laughs) i think she's part of the illuminati okay so and amanda like interviews (laughs) amanda interviews a former member of scientology and she tells her how she basically put her entire life savings into this program because again Scientology gives you these courses and in order to move up the ranks in their program each course of course gets exponentially more expensive so while Mm -hmm. she was maybe only putting out a couple hundred bucks the first few months if she wanted to be considered a higher rank she had to take more more courses then it became in the thousands Mm mm-hmm And then she had to do again, and it became in the 10,000s. And eventually, they make you seem like you're at the very end of the program. And they're like, just kidding. There's more. There's more. And this one is going to cost you Mm $100,000. This one was the scariest in in terms of language that I thought. Like, this is the one that had the whole dictionary that you had to memorize. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people are actually... she. I think this was someone else she talked to, but she said like she would actually get triggered because she would be at like a coffee shop and she would yeah. hear people talking mm-hmm. and they would be using the Scientology language and she mm-hmm. would get triggered by it. Mm-hmm. And it was crazy. It's crazy. Even all those years I, later and she would be like, yeah. are you an ex-Scientologist or are you a Scientologist? Like she knew I right know. away. It went into all these different, they basically speak their own language, which makes zero sense, by the way. I couldn't even comprehend the language Oh my that gosh, it was. yeah. When she did, so she did an example paragraph yes. of like what someone might say and then translated it to what they actually yeah. mean. I was like, I don't understand a single word Mm-mm. that this person is saying. I'm like, listen, I just get by with the English language. There's yeah. no way in hell that you're going to get me to speak a whole new language. But it makes language. so much sense. Like if you're trying to talk to someone and you're using all those words and they're not understanding you, you're going to be like, oh, you just don't get it. And then you go and talk to one of your Scientology friends and they understand every word that's mm-hmm. coming out of your mouth. And you're like, oh, you're you truly understand me. I definitely feel like the Scientology cult is definitely one that feels superior to the rest of the universe. They think yeah. that they're on a higher, a higher educational level. Absolutely. Their IQs are higher. They're smarter. What they think is right is they're they're definitely that kind of cult. Yeah. They're, they're closer to enlightenment than the rest of us. And they yes. they have the idea that any negative experience you have is because you brought it into yourself. 
It's mm-hmm. any negative experience you have, you brought it upon yourself. It's your own fault. It's not our yeah. fault. We're giving you the tools to have this high, you know, higher enlightened life. So if you, it's you, not us. Exactly. That's what it is. And it's also terrifying <laughs> because it's still active right at this exact very moment. Oh, I know. I know. I can't even, I can't even think about it. Like, it just, it freaks me out. I know. I, I'm <laughs> glad that we're over here in New Jersey. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm in the cult of cats. I love cats. <laughs> cats are my cults. So she <clears throat> goes on to talk about religious language. And she says how it's everywhere, informing secular choices we make without us even explicitly noticing, which as someone who's not religious, I've never been. It's kind of funny that when I think about it, so she, again, I I pulled this quote from her book. She says, I recently came across a frozen low fat mac and cheese meal with the word sinless printed on the packaging. Conjuring the devil to talk about microwavable noodles felt a touch melodramatic, but that's how deep religious talk runs in American culture. There are mm-hmm. sinners and saints, and the latter choose 2% dairy. So, <laughs> yeah. I will be honest, I couldn't relate to this part of the book, but I know you did. <laughs> yeah, I did. So, I'm going to let you take the reins on the religion part. <laughs> okay. So for background, for our listeners, <laughs> I I went to a Christian high school, which was non-denominational, meaning that all different branches of Christianity were welcome there. Uh, but my church was a different story. So I went to an evangelical Christian church where they believe in demonic possession. They believe in speaking in tongues, uh, being filled by the Holy Spirit, being healed by the Holy Spirit. It's one of the more fanatical branches of Christianity, which I didn't know at the time, but in hindsight, I do. Mm -hmm. Um, And through both my high school and my church, I went on several retreats. And at these retreats, you basically go for like the weekend. And during the day, you do all these fun activities, like team building things, like, um, what are they called? Like obstacle courses, you know, things like that. You do all these fun activities. And then During the services at night, first they would start out with Christian rock music. So you literally felt like you're at a concert. (laughs) You're in this mindset that you're having a great time. Everything is safe and everything is fun and your guard comes down. And then they switch tactics. So the pastors have these powerful, high stakes messages about trauma and that God can heal you. And whatever it is that is holding you back, whatever it is that's making you upset or making you struggle, God can heal you. And if you're not being healed, it's because you're not letting him into your heart. And by the end of this, the pastor is yelling this message at you because he's just so passionate. Kids are crying. They're having huge emotional outbursts. People are going up to the front to have hands laid on them for healing. People are being... This is a weird one if you've ever seen this on TV, but people go up to the front, they're being prayed for, and then the person praying for them like touches their forehead mm. and they pass out onto the mm. ground. It's it's traumatic to see in person. Um, yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, so people are weeping, falling all over, speaking in tongues. I mean, to an outsider, it has to be absolutely terrifying. And the heightened sense of emotion made all of us more susceptible to anything the pastor was saying. Like we were high schoolers. We were in our formative years hearing things like this. And 
to tie it in with the language, you know, all of these religions, specifically Christianity, they have this language, if you're called, if you're filled with the spirit, uh, your testimony, which is how you found God, how, how you became saved, speaking the gospel, which is, you know, trying to save other people. They have the thought terminating cliches that she talks about, which, you know, God has a plan or why don't you pray on it? So that mm-hmm. any time that you question anything, it gets shut down because, oh, but God has a plan, which is basically the same as like whatever's meant to be will be, which, you know, mm-hmm. we, we say every day, but you can't argue with that. You just have to accept, okay, God has a plan. Or why don't you pray on it? Because that's the only way that you're going to get clarity. Um, and I also, the list that we talked about at the beginning about the cult criteria, in my mind, all of these boxes are ticked by all religions, but in my experience by Christianity, a charismatic leader. It's always, it's usually always a mediocre white man who's good at speaking, good mm-hmm. at commanding a room, uh, youth groups and like newer mega church style churches usually have like younger, sometimes really good looking leaders, um, mind altering behaviors. That's what takes place at these type of retreats, sexual and financial exploitation, there's the idea of purity and saving yourself for marriage. And then financially, there's tithing, which is supposed to be 10% of your income. Um, there's versus them mentality toward non-members. That's literal. Like believers are going to heaven. Non-believers are going to hell, plain and simple. And even further than that, non-believers will attempt to tempt you or sway you in your beliefs. But that's just the devil. That's just the devil trying to work on you. And lastly, the ends justify the means. Everything they're doing, whether it's isolating non-believers or removing yourself from people and activities that are considered sinful, it's all worth it because in the end, you're going to go to heaven and there's your payoff and you don't even need toll money. (laughs) (laughs) You just have to, you know, give them your income. Oh, yeah. Yeah, at least 10%. And if we're talking about the prosperity gospel, it's even more than that. But yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. And it's, it's something that a lot of millennials, I think, can relate to, especially she talks about it at, at some points in the book, like, because some of us did grow up with religion. And no longer are religious, but we are still spiritual. And we yeah. are looking for something to fill that void that religion used to fill. I think that's 100% true. Yeah. Yeah, but but I'm not, I'm fine. I'm totally fine. <laughs> Can't you tell? <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. I go to therapy, guys. <laughs> oh, so that's our religious portion. Yes. Um, <laughs> so... She goes on to talk about gaslighting, which I thought was also very interesting. Mm -hmm. So she talks about when language works to make you question your own perceptions, whether at work or at church, that's a form of gaslighting. So she brings up how the first time she came across the term gaslighting was in the context of abusive romantic partners, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure you and I can attest to experiencing with either ourselves or seeing it in our other friends' relationships. Absolutely, yeah. She continues by saying that it shows up in larger scale relationships, too, like those between bosses and their employees, politicians and their supporters, 
spiritual leaders and their devotees. Mm-hmm. There you go. And, you know, gaslighting is a way of psychologically manipulating someone such that they doubt their own reality as a way to gain and maintain control. Mm-hmm. So sometimes gaslighters aren't 100% aware that what they're doing is manipulative. However, in cultish scenarios, it is often a deliberate method of undermining the fundamentals of truth so followers will come to depend wholly on the leader for what to believe. Right, right. I, I definitely think that is 100% true that sometimes they don't even know what they're doing. Like they're not doing that specifically. They're just being persuasive. But mm-hmm. in that being persuasive, they are gaslighting people into believing exactly what they want them to believe. Exactly. They want, this is their gospel and you're going to believe it. Mm-hmm. Whether you want to or not, you're mm-hmm. going to believe it. Yeah. And if you if you question it, then everything gets turned around on you and mm-hmm. you start second guessing yourself. I know. And it's, you don't even realize it because when I first think, when I think of the word gaslight, I think of personal relationships. Mm-hmm. I don't think outside of the box. I'm always, just because I've seen friends and relationships where they're definitely 100% being gaslighted. Mm-hmm. I've you see it I've seen it in familial relationships where you're being gaslighted. Yep. But when you think of it outside of that and on the full spectrum, it's crazy because every day gaslighting is happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Without you even realizing it too. It is yeah. true without you even realizing it even you're like being gaslighted. The media. Yes. The media telling oh, the us media, what to think. Yes. Are you kidding? Yeah. 100%. You know, when it comes to you know, politics, it's the same thing. Republicans believe their way, Democrats believe their way. And if you don't believe, you know, they try to make you, they try to force you to listen to what they have to say. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, abortion, same thing. It's just people are just completely gaslighting you all the time mm-hmm. about real life things. And you don't even realize it until you actually sit back and take in what you're what you're hearing. Yeah. And it's like, in those cases, the stakes are so much higher. Like, in an issue like abortion, this is literal people's lives at stake. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about babies. I'm talking about women who get pregnant. Yeah. Like this is literally their health and safety at risk. And it comes down to arguing about what you're supposed to believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's scary, honestly. It is. It is. And so thinking about the term gaslight, you it really makes you just ruminate on how wild gaslighting actually Mm -hmm. is. But Mm -hmm. fun fact, I didn't know this. The term, she talks about where the term gaslight originates, which was super fun. So not, I mean, not that it's super fun, you know, (laughs) gaslighting is fun. (laughs) But, (laughs) but the thing, so, and of course, I swear to God, my husband is just full of useless knowledge all the time. And we were talking about, we were talking about the pod we were talking about oh, how i'm recording the podcast today and we were talking about gaslighting and i was like oh I'm like do you know where it originated from and of course he did of course like of did. course he did he just <laughs> knew he well first he was like well it was a movie right and i was like no it was a play and then it was a movie <laughs> <laughs> but so the term originates from a 1938 british play of the same name in which an abusive husband convinces his wife she's gone mad he does this in part by dimming the gas lights in their house and insisting that she's delusional every time she points out the change. Oh my gosh. Isn't I that crazy? about that. That's so yeah. crazy because it's such, it's such a common trope. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, a man convincing a woman that she's descending into madness. But also, that's so specific. And then it just mm-hmm. stuck. Wow. Yeah. 
Wow, mm -hmm. who came up with that? That concept. They definitely didn't think that we'd still be using that word. Oh, no. And, and that overusing that word, to be fair. Yeah, because to be honest, I think people take the word gaslight and they they wrongly label it to situations. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there are definitely, obviously, degrees to it. Yes. But people use it as a blanket term mm -hmm. anytime someone is in a questionable relationship or, yeah. or a relationship where the balance of power is in question. Agreed. So that was gaslighting. So that That's was cool. That was fun. Yeah. So one cult that I had never heard of, or I may have, and I just didn't remember, and I was reading about it, and it again, it just blows my mind. So I learned about the children of God. Oh, yeah. So in 1968, David Berg founded a group initially called Teens for Christ, which at first consisted of young runaways and hippies. The church then evolved into the Children of God, which believed in group living and melded worship of Jesus Christ with a 60 eras free love and preached a fairly standard cult leader prophecy that basically the apocalypse, the apocalypse was coming and it was coming soon. So as I was researching this cult, Joaquin Phoenix and Rose McGowan were part of it in their childhood. Yes. Which is wild to me. I knew about Joaquin Phoenix, but I did not know about Rose McGowan. Yes, Rose McGowan, her family was also, they both their families left the cult once it got too wild. Wow. But, so, obviously, this is the part that got me, that the Children of God is perhaps best known for its troubling convolution of Christianity, love, and sex. As part of his dogma, Berg decreed that an adult male follower was welcome to have sex with anyone, even underage girls, a rule he christened the law of love. Love. That's exactly what it is. Not done. The Children of God was also infamous for its signature practice of flirty fishing. Alert, <laughs> innocent sounding, flirty fishing could be the name of an iPhone game. Instead, it was a mandate that female members recruit men into the fold by seducing them with sex. That's one language to use. As if it wasn't problematic enough, the fact that it was underage girls mm -hmm. and that they were required to say yes to these men mm -hmm. if they decided you're yep. the one I want to have sex with today. And that basically the man was right and they could have their pick yep. of the litter. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> then it wouldn't matter. Oh, so gross. Mm -hmm. Okay. But the flirty fishing is what got me. Yeah. yeah. I was like, this dude is literally sending out women to lure men in with sex. Mm -hmm. So there's an example of language, the, the, the body language, mm -hmm. just basically using your reproductive systems to get dudes into a cult. Like, yeah. It's wild, wild to me. So, and it's, and what makes it more wild is that it's a religious cult. Yeah. It's a yeah. religious cult and you're using sex to get people into it. And that just proves that that's why there are so many millions of different types of religions because you can make up whatever the fuck you want. Mm -hmm. You can yep. literally make up whatever you want. Yep. This one, it's okay to have sex with everyone and love everyone and have children having sex with grown men. Mm -hmm. But then you look at other religions where you're not supposed to have sex till after marriage. It's it's wild. You just yep. just pick and choose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <sighs> so there was just a funny little section in this part that I thought was really funny about Trump. <laughs> Love that it. I just Let's had hear it. to. I, I highlighted it because I was like, oh, this is explained so much. So 
Upon launching his presidential campaign in 2016, Trump's rants about self-reliance took a more paranoid turn. Early that year, when asked who he consults on foreign policy, he replied, "I'm speaking with myself. Number one, because I have a very good brain, and I've said a lot of things. I know what I'm doing. My primary consultant is myself." <laughs> so. <laughs> I can't. I literally cannot. I read this and I just laughed out loud because this dude is psychotic, obviously, for multiple reasons. I think the the ending that you're forgetting to say is that he then got elected. I know. What? I know. Let's not talk about it. Okay, but she does talk (laughs) about, we have to talk about it because she talks about the fact that we give power to people based Mm -hmm. on their appearance. Yep. I.e. average white men who speak with some tone of authority. Jim Jones. Sometimes orange. Sometimes Cheeto colored. Jim <laughs> Jones, Marshall Applewhite, Ted Bundy, Charles yeah. Manson, Donald mm-hmm. Trump. Like, we just expect that what they're saying is right mm-hmm. because of how they appear and because they speak with some type of, I mean, freaking Hitler, for Christ's sake. Like, oh, I know. Like, just because they're good speakers and just because they're convincing, we don't doubt a thing that they say. And then if we do start to doubt them, they gaslight us. So there's no getting out. I don't think you could clump Donald Trump in good speakers, though. Okay, fair you point. shouldn't. Fair point. You shouldn't. But yet people but believed consults, his gospel. He consults himself for his, and he is his primary. So. He is his primary consultant. He has a very good brain. Don't forget that that Donald Trump has a very good brain. He has a very good brain. He's a very good brain. His followers yes. think so for sure. And yes, yeah. I say followers, not his supporters. They're followers because it's a cult. <laughs> we should we should move on. <laughs> yes. All right. So part four. This is a fun one. This mm-hmm. was a really fun one. Do you want to be a hashtag boss babe? <laughs> oh, I loved the letters. Uh-huh. Like the little. Yeah. The little like blurbs, excerpts. like emails. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So relatable. So basically part four is all about MLMs, multi-level marketing. Mm-hmm. That's the whole basis of part four, which is in itself definitely a cult. Yes, absolutely. And it's, again, a cult that causes you to lose money. <laughs> yeah. And, and they use the language more than yeah. any other uh, modern day cult that we I know. see. And it's, I have personal experience with MLMs, be it, you know, getting friend requests from random people and then going to their Facebook that requests me and their fitness people, mm-hmm. you know, because they looked at my profile and they saw that I'm not skinny. So they're going to add me because they want me to try to be part of their program to lose weight, yeah. to eat or their like food. Diet pills yeah. or and essential I, I, oils. I delete immediately. Mm-hmm. Or you get those those messages from people from high school mm-hmm. that message you and say, hey, do you want to make supplemental income? Join me in blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, no, thank you. Like, I'm yeah. good. Mm-hmm. But my mom was into MLMs. She did one when I was growing up, which I, I really don't believe it's in business anymore. But it was called Home Interiors. And it was home decor and stuff like that. And she would, people she would know would host parties and she would, but my mom would have to put money out and buy 
the products from home interiors because you had to bring a product to show. This is the thing. These companies, startup, you know, you have to buy the startup package. Right. So you're already, before you're even making money, you're putting out mm-hmm. X amount of money to buy the products because you need the products in order to, to, to sell them. Mm-hmm. So there's no guarantee you're going to make a profit, but you're kind of blindly going into it thinking, well, this is the answer that I need because, you know, Susan is raking it in and she's diamond in her group so clearly she's amazing but it's not it's not everyone's going to be successful at it of course not and she said in the book which i was like how can this possibly be possible 99 percent of mlm recruits never make a dime no like how do people keep joining with stats like that like that that just shows how good they are at selling Mm -hmm. all these different ideas and all these different companies i mean obviously there's there's obvious ones like the working from home the flexibility with hours you get you have this sense of community like on facebook and whatever you get to go to the conferences but you're not making any money no and some people do but it's rare Mm -hmm. and they are so good on showing their success that people it makes people want to join absolutely because they're seeing that this working from home mom is you know the best seller for LuLaRoe or paparazzi mm-hmm. and now she's making all this money and she has this team and i want to be a part of that team mm-hmm. because i want to make the money but then you have to realize the thing with like mlms is that once you have a follower, it's hard to get that follower from somebody else because mm-hmm. they're gaining this this community and it's hard to break into that community because they already have somebody that they yeah. want to buy from. Mm-hmm. So you're a newcomer coming in and maybe you you followed a friend who's doing it, but her followers aren't going to come to you so you right. have to find a new thing. So it's Yeah, it's, and it's that's hard. what she said about, especially like LuLaRoe, that the market became so saturated with sellers that there was no one to buy anything anymore because everyone was a seller and they're, you know, famous for using the language of, well, if you're not making money, it's because you're not trying hard Mm -hmm. enough. You're not trying to sell hard enough. You're not contacting enough people. You don't have what it takes. Like it's just completely turning the message that if you're not successful, it's your own fault. Yeah. When really there's no way to be successful or there's a 1% chance way to be successful. Exactly. And it's just, it's awkward being in that situation where you're basically pushing your products onto people that want nothing to do with them. Mm -hmm. It's like Mm -hmm. the same thing. Like when you're walking through the mall and the kiosk people are like, oh, try this lotion, try Mm -hmm. this. You're just like, no, like I don't. And then they, but they push you and they try to make you do it. And it's just like, trying to be polite. Yeah. Like respect my space. I said, no, I'm not interested. Thank you. But people, but that's kind of what it is with MLMs. They just Mm -hmm. constantly push and they, and it's worse because sometimes it's your family or your Mm -hmm. friends or people you used to know. So you're trying to be polite and you think maybe I'll give them a chance or whatever but then once you realize what it is you're like how do i say no without being a total dick i know and then there's also those situations now where people are mlms but they market as something else Mm -hmm. like i know somebody that has a like health smoothie shop Mm -hmm. but it's just herbalife they're using herbalife products and selling it off like it's their own shake and it's that's so wrong on so many levels and has to be illegal like yeah just and i didn't even so i hadn't known that she was a herbalife 
uh, seller. Mm-hmm. I saw her shop first because she had told us about it. And I was like, oh, like, we would love to come check that out. And then I go to her Facebook and I see that she's like an Herbalife seller. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no, thank you. Because yeah. your teas and your your juices and your shakes that you're selling, they're not actually a, pro- a health product that you created. It's something that's from another another company that's problematic in itself. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm good. Yeah. So they're masking their product as something else. And it's just so crazy. Yeah. And that's, she talks about the, I don't know if you have this to talk about the system one and system two thinking. Go ahead. About like why, why we don't immediately reject these things sometimes. So like our system one thinking is quick, intuitive and automatic. It's like your mm-hmm. gut reaction to something, the first thing yeah. you think. And your system two thinking is slower, deliberate, and more rational. So sometimes if your system one thinking takes over too quickly, then you get absorbed in these things before your rational mind can say, wait a minute, you know that this isn't a good idea. You know that this isn't, this doesn't make financial sense. You know that what Mm -hmm. they're saying can't be real just because they're saying it in such a relatable way doesn't mean that it's what they, what it actually is you know? Mm-hmm. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And again, it's it's similar in the sense of Scientology that these people are putting so much money into this MLM because mm-hmm. they think that it's going... Because the people that the people that are promoting this product are making you believe that if you work hard and you do everything you're supposed to do, you're going to make triple mm-hmm. what you're putting out. You're going to be able to live on a one and, you know, it's just, so these people fall for it Mm -hmm. and then they're putting all this money into a product and then what happens is they fail, which Mm -hmm. is common. And now you're left with all this product that you bought that Mm -hmm. you can't get rid of. Mm -hmm. You're you're buying all this makeup, all this jewelry, all this supplements, essential oils. You're buying all of this stuff and you can't get rid of it now. So you put all this money into something with no return. Yeah. And it it made sense. I never thought about it until I read it in this book, but that the highest concentration of MLMs is in, it's Utah, right? Where all of the Mormons are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because Mormon women are the most susceptible to MLMs because most of them don't work and they're Mm -hmm. home with all their children and they, you know, want a way to make an extra income so that they can contribute. And also because a lot of these MLMs are also rooted in religion. Yes. And Mormons are obviously highly religious. So mm-hmm. it's like it, it all ties in together. And that makes it even worse because then you have the language of religion plus the language of the MLM. Mm-hmm. It's a double whammy. Yeah. It's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. It was actually surprising because I didn't even realize that some products were religious, like Unique, Mary Kay. Yeah. These were like all religious companies. And I'm like, I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, you don't even realize it because they promote themselves as something else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that's how, and that's probably how they lure certain crowds in. Yeah. Because... And like we talked about before, the language of religion is so normal in our everyday life. Like hashtag blessed, you know what yeah. I mean? Like we might actually see that religious language and still not recognize it for what it is. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Wow. So (laughs) that's MLMs. (laughs) Yeah. But, but last thing on MLMs, they did say researchers said that grumpy people are better at sensing deception and they're less likely to join an MLM, which means that I am safe. Yeah, you are. I am grumpy. 
all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if we were if we were to choose what dwarf we would be from Snow White, you would be grumpy. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's a that's a fact. That's a fact. I'm definitely sleepy. <laughs> yeah. But if we had to pick which one of us is falling for an MLM, I'm sorry, it's you. Okay? Oh, it's me. I (laughs) I joined one because my mom wanted me to, because my mom told me, you know, we could do this. She needed help. She needed like a supplemental income. So I was like, yeah, Yeah. like whatever, like I'll get the startup for you. You know, and it it failed because it's it's what it is. It's nothing. It's not. It's so never again. I... (laughs) Eric told me no, and I was, yeah, Eric told me no, and I was like, well, my mom, you know, I really just want to help my mom, Mm -hmm. but my mom is false. My mom will send me links for MLM products that she wants to try, and I'm like, no, I'm like, it's not real. She'll be like, well, I already bought it, and I'm like, then why are you even coming to me? (laughs) Like, there's that product, like, oats overnight or whatever it is, and I'm like, mom, it's cheaper to just buy the stupid ingredients and make yourself. Yeah, make you're buying your you're buying this product from people. You're spending all of this money. Yeah, and you're just you're falling for like the scam of it, and it, and it's just it is what it is. And yeah. But when when there's someone like my mom who has a shopping addiction, mm-hmm. you know, that's it's just it. Who they prey on? I mean, I know, and I that's one that like I get why people fall for it buying it. I mm-hmm. don't get why people fall for it being in it unless it's or staying in it I should say mm-hmm. I get why they fall for joining it because sometimes the language completely masks what it actually yeah. is you don't even know that it's a freaking pyramid scheme until you actually get into it and you're like oh shit this is how I have to make money mm-hmm. so I get how people join I don't get how people stay no I think the only way that people stay is because it's kind of it goes back to the beginning of the episode where they think I, I can get that win it's right. coming Right. If I just keep trying, if I just don't give up, it's coming. But it's realistically in a situation like this, it's not coming, which is right. how it is for most of cults. It's never what you think is going to be the end result is never really the end result. Right. And it's that sunk cost fallacy, which she talks about. And they mention on the podcast a lot, like you've already put in so much. Yeah. Why would you leave now when you're already going to lose so much? You might as well mm-hmm. just stick it out. And so, I feel like yeah. people, again, one of the things is they don't want to come across a failure right? because right. maybe someone told them that this was a dumb idea, but they went through with it anyways and they want to prove them wrong. And it's, there's just a lot. I can understand why people stay for the reasons that we had talked about earlier, but it's crazy to That's me. That's true. That's true. And people mm-hmm. who are isolated, they find, yeah. or, you know, they find a sense of community. So mm-hmm. yeah, that is true. Yeah. So yeah. That's MLMs. <laughs> <laughs> that is our opinion on MLMs. Do we hold anything back? I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> and if you're in them, it's fine. I get it. You you really think that it's going to change your life or you really think that it's something that's going to help you. And it's, sometimes it does initially, but it always falls at the end. Yeah. Don't send us messages is what we're saying. Don't, don't send <laughs> us links to your, your shit is what we're saying. <laughs> no, unless let's do it cats, then maybe. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> all right so part five this hour is going to change your life and make you look awesome Love so it. part five is all about fitness cults mm-hmm. and the fitness cults are definitely like they said it's not really a get the fuck out it's just kind of like it's it's a live your life. life most of them most of them crossfit not so much <laughs> crossfit not so much crossfit is definitely the scariest and cringiest fitness cults yeah. that she covers. Mm-hmm. There's just, there's a lot 
and I think what's what's crazy about fitness cults is the language they use is the toxic positivity. Yes. Mm-hmm. When you're in a class such as like Orange Theory or the Peloton bikes or the hit classes, the instructors <clears throat> are constantly yelling at you positively. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. And if you achieve this goal, then you get to be part of this club. Mm-hmm. And then if you achieve this many goals, you get to be part of this club. So you're constantly trying to like pull yourself up in rank mm-hmm. just to feel like you're a part of something. And it's also scientifically exercise releases endorphins in your brain. Mm-hmm. It makes you less stressed out. It makes you happier. It all of these things. So after an exercise class, you are obviously going to be at your most susceptible because mm-hmm. you're going to feel amazing. You're going to feel like you just accomplished something. And then you're realizing like, oh, wait, this is the thing that I'm linking to that great feeling. I need to keep that great feeling. Mm-hmm. So they're also preying on not just the the community or the positivity or the need for people to like you talked about diet culture, I feel like they've gotten better in the past few years instead of just talking about getting fit. It's more about getting healthy. Yeah. But still they're preying on all of that. And it's like, of course you're going to want to keep doing this, this thing that makes you feel awesome. And then they add that sense of community on top of that. And you're like, okay, this is a place where I could really fit in where Mm -hmm. I could really have this feeling all the time. Yeah, but then the issue you get to is that you have these fitness communities like CrossFit or I can't think of another one right now, but they push you to a point of no return mm-hmm. and they push you to a point because they, they're like deliberately trying to hurt people. Yeah. yeah and they CrossFit know they're doing is, it. <laughs> yes, 1000%. They're pushing you to physically harm yourself. The, I mean, they're problematic racist former leader oh i have founder. a quote on that yeah we'll <laughs> um soul cycle is another one that has had you know i think yes. they're the one that had all those sexual abuse mm-hmm. allegations and uh demeaning members and stuff and it's just like you're taking that vulnerability of people who are trying to better themselves and exploiting it mm-hmm. and um she brought up excess idealism which is the conviction that the group and everything associated with it can accomplish more than it really can. So basically convincing you that that hour on your spin bike is going to change your life when really all it is, is just going to lead you towards a a healthier lifestyle. It's not going to make all your problems go away. It's not going to change your outlook on life or you know what I mean? No, and it's another money-hungry scheme. Right. Because yeah, these things are expensive as shit. They're expensive. You have, like, what is it, Club Pilates. You have all these these Bar, clubs. CKO, it's just yeah. And they make you pay this astronomical fee to start. And then if you try to cancel, there's a cancellation fee. And mm-hmm. if you want to do all these classes. And it's just, they're, and they're preying on people that want to change their life. Mm-hmm. They want maybe they want to be healthier or they want to lose weight, but then it's just so toxic in the community. Mm-hmm. And just the fitness community is probably one of the most toxic communities I've ever seen. Yeah. Because they're you're constantly comparing yourself to other people, 1000%. constantly feeling inf- inferior. Your friend can bench 
100 pounds, you can only bench 50, you're trying to get to that point, and then you end up hurting yourself because mm-hmm. you're trying to be better, you're trying to be the same. And these classes, a lot of them don't give you the ability to go at your own pace, or they don't give you the ability to do it how you want to do it or do it to a point. You know, I, I've taken classes where they literally push you if you can't do more than this, they make you finish it out or they yeah. make you do it. And it's like, I can only maybe or like, like make maybe you I feel only stupid do, if you yeah. aren't doing it. Exactly. Maybe I can only do 10 minutes of this. I can't do 25. And you yelling mm-hmm. at me saying I can do what I could do it. I, I can't like yeah. you're I'm going to hurt myself trying to do something because you think I can do it. My mm-hmm. body is my body. Your body is your body. They're two mm-hmm. different things. Mm-hmm. So these this fitness cult, some are good. Like I, I took spin and my, my spin teacher was amazing. She was mm-hmm. good. And she would say, go at your own pace. If you can't do it, don't feel pressure. But you yeah. have these, these instructors who push you so hard yeah, and yeah. make you feel inferior and make you feel not good enough or that you shouldn't be in this class because you can't complete it how they're completing it. Yeah. And then you even look at the fitness influencers yes. who, I mean, I am a part of the fitness cult, not a specific one. I don't do group classes, but I see how problematic some of these influencers are when, you know, you're scrolling through Instagram or TikTok and they're giving all this health advice and like they're not registered dietitians. They're Mm -hmm. not nutritionists and people aren't going to research what they said and make sure that it's scientifically backed. Mm -hmm. They're just going to hear oh, I should eat 1,200 calories a day to lose weight. I'm going to do that. Like, no, you shouldn't. That's not healthy. Uh And they're going to think, oh, well, you know, if I lift, if I lift on my squats uh, uh, 100 pounds on these goblet squats, then my quads are going to look like hers. Okay, great. I'm going to do that. Oh, blew my knee out. Now I'm fucked. Like, exactly like you said, like people are pushing themselves so hard because they're putting so much stock in what these influencers say all because the initial, their initial, what is it? Like what they're looking for is right. They are looking to be healthy. They are looking to. It's like the initial like ideation. Exactly. Like they have the right idea in the first place. They're looking elsewhere so that they can become healthier and they can have a different lifestyle. But then you have to be careful about who you're following and listening mm-hmm. to everything they say. And putting them on a pedestal just because they got that body that you want. Like Mm -hmm. all of the fitness influencers that I follow are in their early twenties. Like I know that I could work on my body every single day and my body is not going to look like a 22 year old body who is literally a personal trainer for a living. Like who's in the gym for six hours a day. Like Mm -hmm. I luckily I am old enough to know not to compare myself to you know what I mean like I've mm-hmm. I've done it for long enough that I'm over it yeah now. but a lot of people aren't and it's it's sad well it's like they say comparison is a thief of joy because mm-hmm. I've been there I've been part of weight loss communities where you're seeing people who are doing better than you and you think that you're doing something wrong and that you're yeah. not good enough and then that in return causes you to backtrack absolutely Yep. It causes you to, to go back to your old habits because you know you you think, oh, I tried and I didn't succeed how this person did, so therefore I'm a failure. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's just a vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. a lot of these fitness cults are it's just some are good, some are bad. 
it just it all depends you just kind of have to find one that fits with your criteria of what you need as a person yeah and you need to balance it correctly Mm -hmm. so even if it is one of these very immersive ones you need to see it for what it is and realize like this isn't my whole life like I'm not gonna miss my family members wedding so I could go to a CrossFit competition Uh like you need to hold yourself accountable yeah or or I I can't I can't hang out with my friends tonight or I can't go have a drink with my friends because I can only have x amount of calories and I already did that so it's just that's a hard one yeah. yeah yeah so we had talked about the problematic CrossFit and I saved that quote because it please, was please let's so it. all right four years crossfit hq denied any suggestion that its culture was unwelcoming to black members but during the black lives matter protest in june 2020 greg glassman shot off a series of racist emails and tweets in one he responded to a post about racism as a public health crisis with its floyd 19 prompting white crossfitters to finally start coming around to what many black folks had known for decades. This place was not really for everyone. Mm -hmm. This is another issue with fitness cults. They're not Mm -hmm. inclusive. They say that they are, but they're not. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we didn't even touch upon. But everything in this book, every single cult, especially the MLMs and these fitness cults, we're just completely ignoring the privilege that you have to have Mm -hmm. in order to be involved in these cults. Exactly. Like we, you have to be, you have to look a certain way to be accepted into mm -hmm. these cults. So even if you want to join them, sometimes you can't. Exactly. And then it's also this thing of, I feel like fitness cults preach health and preach being a better version of yourself. But when you're, when you look a certain way, if you're overweight, if you have a disability, you know, you're, you join these cults, you're wrong, you're, you're being, you're, you're putting your vulnerable self out there, and you're willing Mm -hmm. to try to change your life. But then you're frowned down upon, you're looked down upon, because you don't look a certain way, and you're Mm -hmm. not doing it correctly. So they're not, they can preach positivity all they want, but they're, they're not, they're just not. Yeah, they're definitely not including I mean, mm-hmm. in that case, it's obviously racially motivated. Like you mm-hmm. said, sometimes overweight people, especially like overweight fitness influencers, like they're doing their best to get healthy and they're not allowed to. Like mm-hmm. they're supposed, they need to start somewhere. So why exactly well, you, you can only start if you're already a hundred pounds and you know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah. I don't know. It's, you know, and I feel like the same thing too for like the, <laughs> you know, the LBGT community, those people are also sometimes they join a class and people are like, well, I don't want to do a class with this person. Yeah, you know, it's just every people these not people, these fitness groups slash cults can preach what they want. But, you know, the proof is in the pudding, they're not all inclusive or doing what they're supposed to do. Exactly. And so especially with all of that rhetoric, and then they also have their pro police rhetoric. And yeah, you know, that's why they're just Personally, I think one of the <laughs> worst ones. But listen, not all fitness cults are bad. And definitely not us knocking them. But I just think, like I said before, you just have to find one that fits what you're looking for. Yeah. And you have to make sure you're included. Yeah. And absolutely. if you're included and you feel like you you feel like you're getting the positive outcome that you wanted from it, then it definitely is like a live your life and just keep it keep it up because that's good for you. Yeah. Yeah. But completely agree. Yeah. So that's our rant on the fitness cults. 
I got a little heated. My bad. I know, right? I didn't realize how strongly I felt until I started talking I about didn't it. Either I was like, "Oh, Heather, I didn't know you were going to have so much to say about the yeah, cults." Me either. Anyways, moving on. All right. So the last part is follow for follow social oh. media cults, Eek. which it's so true. And I didn't. You don't even. You don't even consider Instagram a cult, but Instagram is a fucking cult because I spend. A good part of my day on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I spend a good part of my day, you know, scrolling and looking at people and following up with people's lives. And if that's not a cult, I don't know what is. So, and the biggest cult leader is the algorithm. Mm-hmm. The algorithm controls how we think, controls the media we consume. If you're in a bad a bad mood, your algorithm can amplify that bad mood. And mm-hmm. start showing you things that are going to put you down into a dark place. If you're in a great mood, the algorithm can amplify that also. But the fact that it is so targeted and they have so much of our personal information and it's so controlled is the cultiest and also scariest thing. And I try oh, yeah. not to think about it that much because it makes me really overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy because it's Instagram is also so similar in the fitness world in that it's just constantly comparing yourself. You're Mm -hmm. comparing your life to other people's lives. You're comparing your followers to other people's followers. You're comparing your engagement with other people's engagement. Yep. You're waiting for a like. You're waiting for a follow. Yeah. You think that if you if you keep posting this, you're gonna get as big as the girl that you follow. And it's Mm -hmm. again, it's it's just it's the same. It's just the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing in a different version, a yeah. different, a different, different mask. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one of the big things that she talks about in the social media cult is about a spiritual guru who I had never heard of <laughs> until I read this chapter. Yeah, so, me either. So his name was, I'm going to probably butcher his first name, but his first name is Bentino, last name Masaro. So he claimed to vibrate at a higher frequency than other humans, higher than even Jesus Christ. Okay, we're off to a good start. Okay. Uh-huh. Now, he's basically a terrible human being. So why people followed him, I don't know. But he ran pricey spiritual retreats and would charge his Instagram followers $600 per hour for a Skype call. Bruh. $600 per hour. Yep. Okay, mm-hmm. go on. He would gaslight his followers and speak to them with verbal aggression, shouting and cursing and saying, I can scream at you all freely because he thinks verbal abuse is a necessary part of the spiritual path and that questioning it simply reflects the lowly human's limited and opinionated mind. God, if that's not an example of the (laughs) language of a cult leader. (laughs) Literally, I can say whatever the fuck I want, and you're still going to give me money. You're still going to show up to my Mm -hmm. retreat. You're still going to pay to see what this is all about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I just want to give a trigger warning because the next few minutes of this podcast are going to we're going to discuss suicide. So if you want to go forward five minutes or so, I please feel free. I don't want to. I don't want to say something that will trigger anybody. So as with Teal Swan, which you can talk about her if you'd like. Uh, Masaro's videos also promote unsafe messaging about suicide. He says, don't fear death, be excited about it. Looking forward to death makes you truly come alive. Wake up to something important. Otherwise, kill yourself. <laughs> so. Okay. Okay. Yep. And this this man is is 
obviously successful enough to be running retreats and stuff, which is so terrifying. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. that's how I feel about Teal Swan too. Like we talked about, we give people the authority that we think they deserve. Teal Swan is the same in that she has this motherly, nurturing voice. Mm-hmm. She's a she's an attractive woman, attractive white woman, of course. And she also her cult, her following has also been attributed as a side cult um, because she says things like suicide is a reset yeah and it's just so scary because that is such a trigger for people and she's Mm -hmm. done that whole thing where um i can't remember the exact term for it but where they like basically rig the search results so people are searching in google like why do i feel so alone Mm -hmm. or or searching things basically insinuating that they're ready to end their life her videos will pop up and Mm -hmm. his videos will pop up Mm -hmm. like YouTube videos of them talking. And if you're already in that fragile mental state, then that's something that's either going to make you or break you. You're either going to cling to what they're saying, or you're going to say, you know what? They're right. I should just do what I was already ready to do. And it's like romanticizing suicide. Exactly. it's, It's, it's horrible. Like even I remember when 13 reasons why came out, the, Netflix version, not the book. And suicide among teens spiked, like because mm-hmm. they were allegedly romanticizing suicide and feeding off of mental states of depressed teens who didn't yeah. necessarily know how to deal with it. And it's just it's it's very scary because especially on Instagram and YouTube and you know, all of those social media platforms, the people that they're targeting are younger and sometimes don't don't know how to deal with those type of emotions don't know you know aren't supported enough to go to therapy or to be on medication etc cetera, etc cetera. so of course they're gonna think that if i can just watch these youtube videos and i'll be fixed then i'm just gonna watch these youtube videos exactly and then next thing you know you're in a cult exactly and so he did these like sedona retreats in arizona and he did one and on the sixth day of one, an attendee named Brent Wilkins, who followed Massaro devotedly for years, broke away from the group, got into his car, drove to a nearby bridge, and jumped, ending his life. So defendants, or defendants, detectives showed up at Massaro's residence to confront him about his questionable suicidal messaging, but no charges were ever brought against him because you can't prove that he caused this guy to commit suicide. Yeah, yeah. So... It's... But it's the power of words. It's like she even talks about the Michelle Carter case. Yeah. About how she was convicted of, you know, talking her boyfriend into committing suicide. Sorry. Yeah. Completing suicide. It's she interviews this um, someone who was close with Brent. And then so this woman, Lynn Perry, says who who was an ex Masaro loyalist said, I guess this is what a lot of people do on the Internet. They put out a perfect persona, and without meaning to, they make other people feel like they're not good enough. And for people like Brent, for many of us, really, it's just too much for the spirit to handle. It's so sad. It's Mm -hmm. so sad because it's so true and such a relatable statement. And you could Mm -hmm. see why someone would fall for that. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate, obviously. Mm -hmm. And these Instagram has its pros, but it definitely has its cons. Yeah. A lot yeah. of it's not even just Instagram, Facebook too, Twitter, any all, of the social any, media. Any social yeah. media app is just it can really bring someone to the point where they have to 
feel like they have to take certain measurements. Yeah. Because and they she just... also sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. She also talks about like right now we're also more susceptible than mm-hmm. other generations or time periods because of the profound loneliness and the toll on our mental health that COVID had, plus yeah. the social upheaval, political unrest, all of these things. And plus, we had to connect with each other based on words instead of in person. So language becomes even more important. It does. So that's why social media is even scarier now than it ever has been in the past. Mm -hmm. So listen, social media can be fun sometimes. But again, you kind of have to use it in spurts. Yeah, uh, follow us on Instagram and TikTok. Yes, but ours is good. (laughs) Our social media is positive social media. It's true. It's true. We're promoting our podcast <laughs> and we want you all to love us forever and join our cult. Oh, God. Cult. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a good book. Mm-hmm. I liked it. It was very informative. It's hard to actually rate a book. So it's not really, we're not really going to rate the concept of the book or, or what was written because it's it's a nonfiction book it was written it was research it was stuff that was mm-hmm. done mm-hmm. so it's more of like the the feeling the book gave you the way that it if you really if you like the message of it mm-hmm. if it resonated with you that's kind of how i'm basing my rating on it okay so my rating is out of how many sips of kool-aid <laughs> It was Flavor Aid, Heather. It's Flavor Aid. <laughs> I'm going Kool Aid because that's what people say nowadays. It's the Kool Aid. So I took four out of five sips. Okay. I really liked it. It was it was good. It's just you know it was. I think that she did a great job with her research and she did a great job explaining the language of the different cults and it was very informative and I really appreciated her humor too to mm-hmm. something so serious. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Because most cult books are mostly just scary. Yeah. So, and she was able to talk about her own personal experiences. Like mm-hmm. her dad was in a cult and then she almost got pulled into Scientology. So it's, it was a really, I think, I think she did a great job with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if four sips is enough to kill you. Um, but I also took four sips of Kool-Aid. I thought it was super interesting I wish there was actually more language association. Yes. I thought like there was a little, it was a little too anecdotal for me. I know that she did that to keep it interesting and to break mm-hmm. it up and stuff. But in those anecdotes, I wish that she inserted the language association in there. Um, I also am really happy that it, even though you told me about the podcast first and then we read the book, it's still like they go hand in hand to me. So I think I'm, you know, rating it highly because of that too. Cause I yes. just, I find even after this conversation, I feel like I like it even more than I did right after I read it because so much of it resonates with me. And I see all of this cultish language every single day. Like, and Mm -hmm. I, and I understand more now why people join cults. Like we're all looking for community and identity and purpose and belonging. Mm -hmm. And so I totally get why, you know, people find that now yeah and and she talks about how now there's just so much to choose from like it's not just join the manson family or don't like Mm -hmm. now there's so much that you can choose from so Mm -hmm. i did find it really interesting especially for a nonfiction book and i mean it sparked a pretty good discussion between us so yeah i I like it i think it was a good one (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) So you can, if you're enjoying our podcast, please like, subscribe, download, leave us a nice review on Spotify or Apple, do all that fun stuff. And you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Fully Booked Calf Pod. If you ever have any questions for us and you want us to answer them on the pod, you can email us at the same email, fullybookedcalfpod at gmail.com. Like I said, with future episodes, we're going to be posting about them and ask you guys to send in listener questions about the book yeah. and things like that. Yeah. And if you have any requests, recommendations, mm-hmm. we're glad to hear send them. Send them our way. Yep. Mm-hmm. So thanks for checking us out. And remember, if you need us, we're fully booked. Bye. Bye.